welcome podcast listeners uh, to our uh, most recent episode here of the Authentic Conviction Podcast. This is actually, uh, this is this is one that I've been trying to do for a few weeks now, but my man's so busy, it's not easy to, to get him on the calendar, and he's out of state, so we're doing it via Zoom, but I am really excited to have one of one of my closest friends I've had my whole life, and and putting the flex on here, I love it on the Zoom call, um, but, uh, but somebody that I've got uh, as much respect for as anybody, and like I said, has been one of my best friends since I was seven years old, so we've got a ton of stuff to unpack, we've got a lot of stories. I think this one's actually going to be as fun as any of them because we can't, it's not only about learning about, you know, uh, the uh, T's conviction and, and T's story, but, um, also learning about some of the things that we've been able to do together, you know, through our lives. So we have with us today, uh, T McCabe, formerly known as Terrell McCabe. And, uh, T, T, uh, is now living in Florida. I'll let him get in a little bit of that, but we grew up together in the Beckett Ridge area. We were, we were the original Beckett boys and, uh, went to Lakota high school together, wrestled together, went to Miami university together and, uh, have gotten in a little bit of trouble together too. We're not going to get into that today, but I want to, I want to introduce and welcome T and T for the listeners. If you don't mind, uh, tell the, tell them a little bit about yourself and, and, uh, a minute or two. Oh, let me try to keep this short. Uh, well, I'm, I live currently right down in South Florida, Naples, Florida, which is as far south as you can get on the East Coast, if you will, or West Coast of Florida. So basically right across the state from Miami. But obviously grew up with you in Cincinnati, Westchester. Uh, went to high school there. Went to Miami, uh, Ohio in college where you joined year three, junior year. We lived together for a couple solid years. That was fun. And after graduating, I turned professional to play golf. Um, obviously played golf in, uh, in high school, did pretty well, played golf in college and just continued to get better. Turned professional, uh, played the mini tours for a while. Mainly, the mini tours were really good back then. Uh, I don't think they're quite as good now. But back in the day, I mean, the, the amount of talent that I was able to play with was phenomenal. I mean, we're talking about Bubba Watson, Zach Johnson, um, uh, DJ, just an absolute stable of some really good players. And watching these guys develop, you always thought in your mind, like, man, these guys, I mean, these guys are shooting 20 under par every week. And basically, you just kept trying to get closer and closer to them. And then all of a sudden, they would make make it to the Nationwide, which now is the Corn Ferry Tour, which is just under the PGA. And then you just keep trying to improve. And finally, I ended up getting through Q School and played three solid years on the, uh, which was then the Nationwide Tour, which now is the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, I had a good run there. Um, my second year, I did real well, but I got injured halfway through the year. Not really sure if I'd have gotten my PJ Tour card that year, but the injury sure didn't help. And then the next year, just kind of lost interest in the game, if you will. Um, it just, I couldn't get to the golf course on time. Just things were just slowing. I just started looking outside of golf a little bit. So I ended up quitting. And long story short is I ended up down in Florida and worked in the finance industry with Merrill Lynch for two years and then two years with Morgan Stanley. And then my father died, which you were a part of. You flew out to San Diego um, when, when my dad died. And that just kind of just scrambled my mind a little bit for a lot of reasons. Obviously, when you lose a parent, it's just traumatic. But I started seeing a lot of what he used to do 
And it just kind of interests me. And there was a guy that he used to work with that, that I started kind of working with on the side. And it just became kind of a passion a little bit. So I basically just ended up quitting my work uh, that winter after my dad passed away and started uh, furthering his golf putter line, which I guess I didn't talk about. My dad was a lifelong golf club designer. Made some amazing golf clubs back in the day. Worked was the head of design, um, the director of R&D at Titleist for, I think, 10 years. So he did the 975D driver. And before all that, he did T-line putters and TPA putters. So now I'm actually, my own putter line is a TPA putter line, which is my father's legacy. So that's, that's where I'm at down here. And your new, and your new passion that nobody would have ever guessed uh, knowing you as growing up. So what is it that you love to do now in Florida? Oh, are we talking about kite surfing? Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> I'm, I'm knee deep in kite surfing, my man. Here, here's a wing so this, these are the wings we ride on so i actually do a lot of design work too um, for a lot of different things i would say my passion is 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 uh equally strong with just design just general design so but anyway mm -hmm. kite surf i love kite surfing i yeah. i would i used to what i did for exercise down here for quite a while was i would swim three or four times a week during the sunset there's a there's a pier the Naples pier and there's one street that's a half mile away. So I would swim a half mile to the pier and a half mile back. Well, one evening I saw a guy going back and forth with a kite going about 30 miles an hour, four feet out of the water. And I was like, and I just, I started, I started running. I got out of the water. I started running him down. I must've ran about five miles. And I said, Hey man, how do I get, how do I get lessons? And it so happened. He was the, the teacher. So he, <laughs> yeah. So he taught me and then, you know, the rest is history. So. Yeah. You're kind of like a real life force gump. Your story is going to be one that'll be on the, on the big screen one day T. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. but, uh, you know, and, and I mentioned this to you earlier and, and I know that you don't have a whole lot of background on the podcast and you will now, hopefully that, that yeah, you're obviously going to be one of the guests on here, but, um, you know, the whole idea of this is that, um, you know, we, we go through this journey in life and, you know, for me, you've, you've watched my transformation. I mean, I went from, and, I, and I'll admit this. I mean, I think it's healthy to kind of talk about the things that have shaped who you are. I mean, it, you know, for me going into Lakota, you know, surrounded by people that, that had back then great wealth to me, you know, they had things um, that I thought were valuable because I didn't have them. Um, you know, you're trying to find your identity and you try to find it in the wrong places, whether that's in relationships or things or money or whatever. And then all the way to Miami where it was the same thing. And I just it was like, wash, rinse, repeat. And it's like, you know, and I'm, I'm 44 now. And I've never been more comfortable in my skin with who I am. And, and now you and I both know that true wealth really is in your happiness, your health and, and your relationships. And, but I will say that you get there and maybe you look back and you don't like the person that you were, you don't like the things that you may have done and the decisions that you made, um, growing up, but they, they in turn lead you to where you are, you know? And, and the cool thing is, is it, is that, you know, we had a really, close knit group of people, you know, when I think of me and you and Sean Thacker and Greg Vogt and, um, you know, the list, the list goes on, but we had such a good group of friends. I mean, do you, how do you, when you look back, it's hard for me to not start talking about all those, those summers we spent in, in, uh, in your parents' basement. And, you know, after, after tapping into the keg a little bit, going out and doing wedge competitions from a hundred yards out on 14, you know, or, or waking up and having a hundred beers buried in the bunker on hole seven and your dad was ready to kill us. But like, 
you know, do do you do you look back and look at those, um, you know, those memories, those years, and think that maybe it had some some part of shaping who you are? Oh yeah. The one thing I will say is, even though we might have had a few, I don't, I we didn't even drink that many beers really. But I mean, we did have some beers. Not in high school, we didn't. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Our I, I listened to some people, what they were doing in high school, and it just boggles my mind. The thing that was that kind of kept us close-knit and kept us uh, on the right path was sports. I mean, we were all, we were all doing sports, and it, it just it, – it, the discipline. Even though we might have – everyone has a good time at some point in time. But we all had – we all were actually had goals, and we cared about how we performed, and we cared about the teams we were on, and we all had a passion for sports. And that really kept us, you know, kept us out of trouble, you know, and it, 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 it just a, a, a lifelong discipline, basically. And that's kind of how I, I mean, the friendships and, and, and they're good people. I mean, I, I try to be a good. You're a good hell of a person. Uh, Sean's a good person. I mean, everyone that we hung out with, we surround ourselves with good people. Mm hmm. That's so, a great way of putting it. And it was, it was a variety of sports. I mean, the cool, yeah. what, what I, and I go, I go back through my mental Rolodex and it's, it's hard to really comprehend how far how long ago that really was but I even remember my first time playing golf how driven I was because I hated getting beat so bad by you and Thacker and harder and like you know going back to our days of even when you started wrestling you know but but what but what listeners may or may not know because we've talked to you about you as, as as a as a golfer is that you were also a martial artist um you were a heck of a wrestler and not only that, but um, you, you, we started our, our relationship as a baseball team. Yeah. Oh, that was and your dad was one bad, of the coaches. Bad news bears. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and so that bond, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because to me, I, I cherish those memories. You know, I, I've, I'm over the days of living in the, I don't live in the past, but I cherish my memories. Um, and to think that it led us through high school together. I mean, even with, with our, I would call it our trio, our original trio, I think. And I don't want to exclude Greg from this because he was obviously a big part of our, of our high school and college relationships. So me and Sean were pretty tight. Um, you know, and, 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 and Greg, we, we call him peanut, but, uh, you know, joined in, joined in the friendship and we all became so close, but it continued through high school and into college and we were able to be roommates in college. But, um, you know, so I, I, I tell the story about, you know, with your golf background and, and you even being as humble as, is I remember you had a week off from the nationwide tour and you came home and actually volunteered to caddy for me in the pub links. Do you remember that day? I, I, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I remember that. Yeah. Well, I was I on the nationwide then. I think I was. Yeah. It was. <laughs> no, I remember that. Yeah. We were playing with. Uh, who were we playing with? He just Jim won Herman. Yeah, Jim. Didn't he just win a few weeks ago? He won a few, and I think I'm one to know against him. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for you to jump on the bag and and uh, and do that, obviously. So it's, yeah, you're right. It's like, we were surrounded by good people. We were surrounded by humble people and it didn't matter what, what level you got to, uh, because you know, this, we were, I think what's really cool about, you know, again, we talk about conviction, but you know, there are friends that, that get jealous of other, other people's success. And then you have your true friends that are actually happier for you than you even are for yourself. And I'll never forget you going through Q school. I mean, we were on pins and needles watching and rooting for you. And I think that's huge is that ability to root for one another and, and sharing each other's successes, you know? Um, 
but do you remember let's let's uh so so one of the cool memories that i have that i think is really cool that i was just talking about it with somebody yesterday on a zoom meeting here because it's a guy who's a member at scarlet at the scarlet course i said do you know what the kepler is and he said yeah i said well my boy's on that trophy but do you remember winning that tournament at ohio state when you were a player at miami oh yeah i mean i'll never forget that i'll never forget that that was i mean I was. I can talk to you about it for a second because I played yeah, with I Luke Donald. You. I played yeah. with Luke Donald every round, and uh, at the time he was a freshman at, at Northwestern. And I, I don't know if a lot of people know who Luke Donald is because he hasn't played well on the PGA Tour for a while. I think, I think he ha- had some injuries. He's been playing recently again. But mm-hmm. Luke Donald got to number one player in the world. I he think won the British. Was, yeah, and it was. I don't know. It was around 2010 or 2008 when he ended up getting number one player in the world. But uh, this kid was so good as a freshman. He he had won like four tournaments in a row going into that. And here I am paired with him on the first day. So I had this little goal where I was just all I wanted to do was stay within one shot of him. And it was like, and it was nasty weather. It was raining. It was, and in that time of year, it's just that golf course is as hard as it's going to get. And it, all of a sudden, I just everything disappeared. It it was just, it was basically, it was kind of one of those walks, you know, that, that journey where you're playing golf late at night with one guy and you're just zoned out. But anyway, it was just me and him. And I, every shot he hit, I enjoyed. I enjoyed every shot that he hit. Next thing you know, it's the last round, and we're like one shot from each other in the lead. And I just kept the same attitude. I said, I'm just going to stay one shot away from Luke Donald. Next thing you know, there's nine holes left, and I'm leading. And I'm like, oh, boy, it's game on. And, uh, I mean, I, I want to say I was nervous, but the conditions were so tough that it kind of just that fell away. And I just kept the same attitude. Next thing you know, I had a five-footer in the last hole for par, a little right to lefter, and I was using a blade putter at the time. Will 8802? Stanley. Yeah. Yeah, somehow baby. That, somehow that putt went in, and, I, and I, I I think I beat Luke by two shots, shook his hand, and I, I didn't know at the time I won, but I'm like, there's just no – nobody's going to beat that score. It was like 600. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, That's no. incredible. And, yeah. and let me take a stab at this. I could be wrong, but was Ben Curtis in that tournament as well? Oh yeah, Ben Curtis was Randy Lean, uh, which was Indiana. Randy Lean was awesome at the time, and then Ryan Armour, who's on the PGA mm-hmm. Tour now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Armour's doing real well on the PGA Tour, but he was with Ohio State, and I actually played with a I can't remember his name. It was a Canadian from Ohio State that just bombed it. Now I bombed it too, but <laughs> this guy was on a little bit different level. Yeah. So, but anyway, no, there was Ben Curtis. And actually, I tell you what, you know, what's fun is uh, there's a guy named Ricky. I can't remember. He's caddying for Brooks Kepka now. And this guy was he's from he's from England. Or, or no, I think he's from Ireland, but he caddies for Brooks Kepka now. And yeah. this guy, he played um, he was at Toledo. And man, this guy could play. I'm telling you right now, Brooks Kepka's caddy can go out and shoot in the 60s any day of the week. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> well, a yeah. lot of caddies have that level too. It's kind of interesting. You said how how the conditions kind of got you to think about other things and not think about the moment, which yeah. directed my mind to um, you know one of the great memories I have of following you as a fan and a friend was. Um, when you got runner up at New Zealand and I remember those yeah. conditions. I mean, I remember watching cool. you hit shots where you were anchoring your body down. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you were probably, 
don't know, what are you, 6'2"? You probably anchored yourself down to be about about 5'8 by the time you were hitting your shot. But um, was is that one of your favorite moments on the tour is finishing runner-up in that New Zealand tournament? Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, that, that was – I was actually on the wrong side of the uh, – um the wave i mean there's a morning and afternoon wave i finished second in that event i think the next person in my wave was like 15th place so all the entire top 15 was in a different wave. when when i tee off it was blown it was almost they almost called it you you would actually now you're not supposed to do this but you have to do it you would actually have to kind of put your ball on the green you'd have to press it down just a little bit i mean if it didn't it would just i mean these greens are rolling 12 and 30 mile an hour winds so and every and you're on a little peninsula out in the ocean, and it's just howling. I mean, it, you hear it at night. You know, it, it's three in the morning, and you're like, man, I don't know if I want to go play golf tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, but I finished second, made a big – it was a big payday. And the, the other funny thing was I had this local caddy. This guy was going to college, and he just showed up to caddy for somebody, thinking he's going to probably get 800 or or 1000 bucks. Next thing you know, he leaves with like, a, I think it was a seven or $8,000 check. This kid was, he was so happy when he saw that check. So. <laughs> he took the right bag. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so, yeah. so what, you know, what fascinates me and, 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 you know, it's easy to glamorize professional athletes and what, and you know, their life, but what they, what they can't glamorize is everything that goes into it. And I remember having these conversations with you about, and I, and of course I have a little bit more intimate knowledge. I, I'm, established enough as a former athlete and, and, and intelligent enough from learning from you and some of my other friends and clients who have played professional sports that what goes into that, you know, and I remember, you know, hearing from you like, yeah, it looks glamorous when you see guys on the PGA tour, but what people don't realize is even the PGA tour players and all the way down to the mini tours, even more importantly, mini tours is that they're paying their own entry fee every week. Um, you know, you're traveling to the next spot and, and your goal, goal one is make the cut. Otherwise you're packing your stuff and you're leaving. Um, but you're covering your own expenses. I mean, do you, do you, do, what lessons did you learn from that grind? Because you, you experienced a lot of ups and downs. And if I'm not mistaken, I think you finished like two or three spots out of the top 25, which would have put you on the PGA tour in that year that you finished second. I think you were top 30, if I'm not mistaken, maybe top 35. So what are the lessons that you took away from that grind? You know, when you were, when you were right at the top of your game, you know, and, 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 and I want to follow this up with a statement is that when somebody says, why'd you quit? I remember talking to you about this over a couple of pints when you came home for Christmas one year and you got frustrated. And so did I, cause it's like, do you realize that I'm one of the best 500 people at what I do in the world? Like you imagine going to a cardiologist and I say, you're the best 500 in the world at what you do. It's not quitting or not making it. I made it. But like, what are the lessons that you learned from that experience and getting really to the pinnacle of your career to the nationwide tour? Oh yeah. No, that I, that's all the, one thing that I tell people some that don't know golf that well is like, it, I, I think in the major major league baseball, NFL, all these sports, if you're top, I was, I ended up getting it up to 300 in the world ranking. If you're the top 500 in your sport, you're making millions, but in golf, even if you made it to, to the, to the major league, which is the PGA tour, you don't have, you got one year to prove yourself. If you don't make enough money, you lose your car mm -hmm. and it's back to the grind. So it's an interesting sport. The one thing I learned was there are the, the amount of talent out there is crazy. And they are a lot more, everyone's a lot more serious than you think. I mean, it mm -hmm. is, it is 
it is structured. You care about what you're doing. They have goals and it's a serious business. And every single level that you get at, it, it gets a little bit more serious. Like the mini tours, you could see the real serious guys. I'll never forget having lunch. We are having, uh, uh, there was a rain delay and I was, I was paired right behind Zach Johnson. And we were sitting there grabbing a lunch because it was going to be a two or three hour delay. And we were talking because it was one of the first events back from the year. And this guy, we were talking about what we worked on over the winter. And he had a whole list of everything that he worked on. And, and, and he had, he was like, I'm going to have a much better year because I worked on my wedges all winter. And I'm like, wow, that was pretty, what a statement. And he had a number, he won the money list that year mm -hmm. on the Hooters tour. So, and then from a personal standpoint, um, I learned that you've got to love two things. You've got to love the game that you're playing and you've got to love competition. And I, I straddled that line for a while. I started off loving the game and to, to, to my core. I mean, you remember I used to watch Tiger Woods when the USA were falling asleep every night for three years. I watched those tapes with you. Yeah, I mean, I it, it was everything he did, I was watching because I love the game. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, I started loving the competition, which is very important. You've got to be a competitor. Mm -hmm. So, And then all of a sudden, I started liking the competition more than the game. And then I think when that kind of uh, – I stopped enjoying the competition as much, it, that's when I kind of wanted to – you know, I started thinking about outside things. And I love watching the UFC. And Dana White says when, when fighters – are talking about leaving the sport he says leave it's you don't want to hang around anymore so that's basically that's what i did i'm because i could have gone to q school last year um i was exempt in the second stage but i just said i didn't want to do it anymore so you know what's kind of cool is you think back to that competitive fire um and i don't i don't have to tell anybody that's listened to more than one of my episodes knows you know i'll knock my mom over to win a ping pong match which we won't even get into to, to the intensity of our ping pong matches. Man, I'm telling you what, I was I listen to this. My butt, which I, I I like to watch the UFC by myself a lot, just because yep. of the knowledge that we have from wrestling. Yep. Yep. I went over to my buddy's house, who's like a casual guy, you know, and they're playing ping pong. And he's like, You wanna play a match? And I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> you don't know. You're not ready I, for the smoke. I, I said, Have you ever seen a miniature ping pong table? So we ended up getting on YouTube and pulling up some videos of a miniature ping pong table. Oh God. So, so let me, let me elaborate a little bit for the listeners, but, um, and it's funny to you because we talk about how people are, are really slow to, to, to share things that are good about them in our society. We've been trained to think that that's arrogant. You know what I mean? But I will say that we, we were well above average ping pong players. Like there wasn't, there weren't many casual people that we would run into that we couldn't just beat 12 to nothing in a qu very quick game. And so what we did is when we had our, our, our apartment in village green and in Oxford, Ohio, um, you had this little mini ping pong table that had like paddles that were pretty small paddles and it would fit in one of our bedrooms. And we would get crowds of people in there with their beers watching you and I, and it looked like one of those Olympic, you know, if, if uh, you know, the, the Olympic finals of the, of the ping pong, when they're like 15 feet away from the table, you and I would be ripping forehands back and forth to one another, like 10 feet behind a table that's only six feet long. And it was, it was, and think about those competitions. I mean, you, when, I remember we, on that mini table, we play welt ball. Where yeah, we, well, we would take to, our shirts off because we were sweating so bad. 
And then and it then was it all right, every in, point. Yeah, and then whoever was winning by five points would end up just <laughs> sending a haymaker right into your chest. <laughs> you, you used to hit me in the forehead. I uh, know. <laughs> Well, I had good aim, but anyway, so, uh, but, but, you know, even to the point where we had score sheets on our walls and we would have these massive Tiger Woods golf, uh, tournaments and we would use your title of score score sheets and they would, we would keep them stuck in our walls, that competition. (laughs) And it goes back even further than that T. I mean, we would, I remember having skins games that would carry over with the Beckett boys. And I remember you, you would bring that your parents, Lexus, that, that Lexus, and, and we would have all those cars and we'd drive it on 10 cart path and nobody would ever dare say anything to team McCabe because he held the course record, but we would park those cars behind 10 green. If you remember, and we would, we would keep playing the hole over to the headlights and we would all hit 12 of us and we would go up and find our balls and we would play those games until the skin was won. And it's like that competition and that, that desire to win is something that carried over with you, you know, even to now, I'm sure. And now you're doing kite surfing. You're going to do that to the best of your ability. Um, But again, I think that's a, that's a, that's a tapestry that that is created over your life. Um, And it just kind of gets to the next level. But I do want to, I want to, one more thing as it relates to you. And I want to, I want to dig in, unpack some things about your father real quick too, because what I hope comes out of this is, you know, sometimes you hear the craziest stories and the most interesting stories from people that you would have never assumed. And when yeah. I, I like try to tell some of your stories to people and it's almost like they, they're just like, uh-huh, whatever. Like they don't believe it. And, right. and I got to share this one thing that, that I still think that when I tell people, they think I'm lying, but, but within a year or two, if I'm, if I'm wrong, correct my, my history here, but within a year or two of you getting uh, uh, your amateur status back, you were playing at a course that I oh, actually right. was playing, um, yeah. which was ironic. That whole thing I'll tell, I'll, I'll share with the listeners, but, um, in, in Marco Island, and uh, you accomplished a feat that I'm shocked that even anybody else that's ever walked the planet has done. But you're one of two players in the history of the game of golf yeah. to have recorded two albatrosses. For those of you that don't know what that means, that's a double eagle. So that's either a hole-in-one on a par four or a two on a par five. It's yeah. more unlikely than a hole-in-one on a par three, obviously. Um, but you did it twice, not only in one round, but on one side. Yeah, you, on side. you got to share this story because people – don't believe it when I say it. Yeah, I, I, it it uh, it seems like well, it actually was probably almost a decade ago. Now <laughs> we're getting older, buddy. Yeah. Anyway, I I, had just, I was uh, I think I was done. I think I did have my amateur status back. Not that it really matters, but I was playing with th- the the great thing about the story was I was playing with three of of my best friends down here, and we had a, we had a group of guys that we were playing with. We had a huge skins game. I mean, we had bets going all over the place. And where this story, I ended up shooting 60, by the way. I had a 10-footer to shoot 59 on the last hole. And it was so funny because, I'm sorry I'm getting away from the double eagle, but this whole story was incredible. Because I've got a 10-footer to shoot 59 on the last hole, and I was beating one. Of, I was beating the guys in my group so bad that they were all losing a couple hundred to me, which I wasn't <laughs> going to make them pay. I'm not going to make these guys pay. A couple of them were living with me at the time. I mean, they couldn't even, they, what am I going to do? Add their, add it to their rent. <laughs> anyway, uh, he's out, he's looking for his ball for eight minutes and it's getting dark in the hazard to, and he's going to make a bogey. Anyway, I'm getting ready to make it worst of par. And he, and I'm like, Hey Ryan, you want to keep looking for your ball so you can make bogey or do you want to w- watch a 59? And I think all of a sudden it clicked in his head and then he became, he was like, okay, knock it in. But anyway, the very first hole we were playing, and I think you know how I am. I know I had 
I hit my birdie putt aggressively and knocked it like three feet by. And this guy that I didn't know very well, I kind of knew him well, but he was real good friends with the guys I was playing with. He went to go hit it back to me. And I said, no, no, no. I like to put everything out. That's how we were. Yeah. I barely made that putt. It like lived in for par. And you, you kind of like, you're walking to the next hole. Like this might not be a good day. You yeah. Know, like, yeah. 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 <laughs> not, not, you know, but had he hit that putt back, I couldn't have claimed that I was getting ready to shoot 59, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but anyway, I shot 60, but anyway, the story goes, we were playing wolf and a lot of people don't know this, but you, you can either become a team with somebody or you can go by yourself. Well, we get on this par five. I let these three knuckleheads hit their drives, which they all hit down the middle. And then I just sent it like, you know, 310 right down the middle. And I said, I'm going alone. You're going wolf. And all the bets double and you're playing against three guys now. They all hit and they're all near the green and two. And my buddy, Ryan, who was looking for his ball in the hazard, he go, he knew that I didn't like, he knew I was in between clubs. It was a, it was a hybrid or a three wood. So I've got to hit this cut three wood out over the water, which he knew that wasn't my specialty. And he goes, what are you going to do? You're going to snap hook a hybrid or are you going to cut the three wood? And I said, I'm going to fillet this three wood in there about three <laughs> feet. I hit this three wood a little thin, but just out over the water, it cuts back in and rolls in like a putt. And every, we were dead silent for like a minute. All of a sudden we're high-fiving each other. We're going crazy. Uh, I've seen two, uh, double eagles in my life I've probably seen 15 or 20 hole in ones so I was happy to now that was off the bucket list right mm-hmm. and this other the guy that I'm riding with this is so funny we're riding up there and he goes he goes do you win the hole <laughs> I said I said Oliver I just made it two on a par five <laughs> anyway three holes later there's another par five and I smoke it down the left side I got like a four iron in and you remember 17 at Becker Ridge. It was a huge swale. Yeah. I actually didn't hit a great shot, but I hit it solid. I missed it on the, the correct side. As my ball is going up this huge hill on the, on the, on the green, everyone drives over and all of a sudden the ball starts rolling backwards, it's rolling backwards. And I, I, everyone knows I'm making a three at worst. And Ryan's like, it's going to go in. It's going to go in. Disappears. And there's, there's a whole stadium of holes around us and we're not members. A couple of the guys work there. Nobody, they think we're hooligans. They start it's tackling Hammock me. Bay, right? Hammock Hammock Bay, Bay. They start tackling me and they're punching me like this. And they're, everyone's yelling and everyone's looking like, Oh my, what are these guys doing? You know, <laughs> this one guy had heard a story that I had never shot. He's like, I heard you shot 29 on the front of Hammock Bay and you didn't play the back nine. I said, yeah, I've done that two or three times. He goes, I don't believe you. Well, anyway, we're driving up there, and I said, hey, man, you didn't believe me. There's a 29 for you. Well, two things. We had another hole to go, and it was actually a 28 at that point. I birdied nine to shoot 27. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, anyway, that's the story. And then that, I, I actually I, – I, too, putted my last six holes to shoot to shoot 60. That is I unbelievable. Birdie, I had birdie putts on every one of them. I, too, putted my last six holes to shoot 60. That's unbelievable. And, and, and the cool thing is, and I told you about this T is, um, this was, so this would have been our kids 11 U season. So this was three years ago. If you remember, I was in Marco Island for a work convention and we were staying at that JW Marriott there and our golf, uh, event was at hammock Bay. So I'm 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out uh, with the cart guys and we're talking and, um, I had just, I just got off the range and one of the, one of the cart boys and you know this and people that play with me know, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm five, nine, maybe in a pair of boots. Um, and, and maybe unassuming, but then they hear some of the driver swings and they start kind of like, dude, where do you play? Like they start asking questions. Like that's not a normal ball speed. So they, they start, they start coming over and and talking and I'm like, they're like, where'd you play? I'm like, well, I actually played baseball in college. My, I said, my best friend though, he played at Miami and then he moved down here. I think he plays in this area. I think he's probably played here a lot. He's like, would you say Miami of Ohio? I said, yeah. He said, I said, his name's T McCabe. He goes, wait a minute. Are you kidding me? I said, why? He said, well, he's like Paul Bunyan around here. I said, what are you talking about? He's like, go into the clubhouse and look at, at the scorecard they framed. They told me the whole story. I had no idea that I was at the course that you did this. And so these cart boys are reliving this whole moment that they had. Right. And, and that you were like this like mythical creature that, you know, like Sasquatch, you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, but, uh, what, you know, what a lot of people, uh, may or may not know is that, you know, we talked about a little bit about our background, but you know, when your parents got divorced, um, you know, I, it was cool because I, I, you know, I was obviously uh, close with both of them. Your dad was our baseball coach when we were young, when we were, we were young kids and your mom was like a second mom, you know, just like my mom was to you guys. Yeah. So, uh, but when your dad kind of got into traveling quite a bit and he was going through his stuff with his club design and everything else, he went through to travel out to California. Um, the cool thing was, is his house on hole seven at Beckett, his, his entire basement, um, w- w- it was dug out the same size of the house. So the basement had to be at least 2,500 square feet. And, and within that, that ba- basement, he had his own workshop down there. And it's amazing, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he was the, the creator and designer of the first Metalwood. Is that right? Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't know that. It's, it was the T-Line Metalwood. Mm-hmm. And it, ca- it came from, I'll just give you a quick background real quick, because I know, I know you're, you're, you're motoring, but um, he was working at a driving range a long time ago. And actually, they had metal woods at the driving range. Golden but they just didn't, they didn't know how to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They yep. didn't know how to construct them right because you could just beat those things up. Well, it ends up uh, one of the salesmen for Tommy Armour, which was T-Line was under, was Gary Adams, who ended up starting TaylorMade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Gary Adams is one of the salesmen. And when he started uh, um, TaylorMade, he said, oh, my God, I, I got to call Terry because he made a T-Line Metalwood. And that's where the first TaylorMade burner became. The burner. Yeah. 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 And then, and then to look, I remember being down there and seeing all the shelving he created and having all those things and, yeah. and then to follow his progression, um, even to one of my, one of my, I think one of the coolest memories I've ever had was when we were able to go out to La Costa after we graduated high school and, and stay there with your, with your dad on, I think it was whole seven of one of the La Costa courses, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, anyway, so, so to stay there and go into the, go into the, uh, into this, the putting studio and go into the, and see how they cast a mold at the Titleist factory and all that stuff. Um, but, but to really see his progression and how he got to where he got, it's just, it's unbelievable to me. And then, and then even to get to the point beyond of, of, of getting through what he went through with Titleist, basically, you know, the head of design for Titleist, the 975D, the bore through that he designed there and all the things that he did. Um, but later on, fast forward, when he passed away, it was, it, it just fascinated me, you know, number one that, you know, um, I'll never forget getting the call from you. I was sitting at the Silver Spring house having dinner with my family. And, and when, and I could t- just tell in your voice, knowing you as long as I have that it wasn't, something wasn't right. 
And yeah. so I remember excusing myself from the table, going outside, and you kind of saying, look, I don't think my dad's going to make it through the 90s not doing well. I'm headed to San Diego. And I could tell because I know you and I know you would never ask that you you kind of were in need of a, of a, of a compadre. And yeah. so I just said, give me an hour. And I went back. I remember looking at my wife and saying, honey, T, T's heading to San Diego. His dad's not doing well. And before I could even finish my sentence, she said, you need to be out there with him. And yeah. I remember within a day and a half, I was on a flight. That was just after my ankle surgery. And so oh, that's right. You, you were limping around. I remember that. I remember yeah. that. Yep. So I was like maybe six weeks into my first steps after my, after my recovery, my yeah. ankle surgery, and going out. But seeing this museum, I compare it to a Howard Hughes of golf. Oh, like yeah. he, wa he was a genius. I mean, do you remember, do you remember what fascinated me most? The two things that fascinated me most about what we found in that, in that condo and at La Costa for your dad? What would you guess? Uh, well, I mean, there was so much stuff. It was, it, I mean, for me, what blew me away was all the, the patents that he was reading. The violins, maybe? I, I, don't, I don't know. There was so much stuff. So we, we spent first our first four hours up in that bedroom just going through patent binders yeah, yeah. of all the patents that he had either filed or, or, or successfully achieved, right? And, yeah, and, he was re and most of them he was reading. I mean, I, I want to say he had two, three, four thousand pounds of paper patents that he was reading. Yes. Just to yes. accumulate knowledge. Yeah. The number one thing that sticks out to me, though, is that when you walk up those stairs on the way to his, his bedroom where he kept all in his office and all that, where his, where his office, actually, where he kept everything upstairs, is to the left was this beautiful bookshelf. Oh, oh, yeah. All the golf and digests. Bound, collated, and looked at like an encyclopedia format. And you could have grabbed any one of them. And, and every one of those books, which you ended up taking, I'll let you tell the story about where you took them, but every single one of them had uh, had bunny mark, bunny ear marks on them, so yep. where he'd flap back the pages, and notes that he took from every single one of those that he read from, I believe it was 1978 all the way to, to the current year when he passed away. Um, every single one of those magazines. Yeah. Um, I would guess that that would probably fetch six figures in the open market, but what did you end up doing with those? Well, I actually still have them. I have, I have, I just don't know what to do with them. I, part of me wants to sell them. Um, but I, they're not all there, but I want to say 90, 90 to 95% are there. And we're talking over the course of 20 years of, you know, that's not a lot, but I kind of feel like they belong in the world golf hall of fame. So mm -hmm. now last year, obviously with COVID, I didn't get to the, um, the PGA show, but I always talk to those guys about it. And, um, I really need to do that or, or sell them, you know, but they're doing fine. I mean, it's hot, it's hot as hell. I hate to use that word in, in my attic, mm -hmm. but I check on them every month or so they're fine. They're doing mm -hmm. well. So, but he was crazy about designing. And the, the reason why he was going through those was to get ideas and to see if anything that somebody was trying to patent was done previously. And if it was done in 1978, it's not patentable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everyone's trying to get a patent. Golf patents, unfortunately, which I, they shouldn't be that way, is one of the most, um, there's more patents in any other sport than golf. There's no, not any more. It's one of the largest industries for patents is golf. Wow. Yeah. So and I don't really, I've learned not to care about that stuff. I wish I wasn't so knee deep in all my dad's stuff. Cause that, you know, I, we didn't really waste a lot of time, but I didn't know what he was up to. Nobody did. Mm -hmm. When you see 4,000 pounds of patents, you're like, man, this guy's up to something. 
Well, and, and that's kind of the that's kind of the, the the grand finale of of really what I think is is uh this this journey that we've that we've gone through on this on this podcast is, you know, when you look at I mean we've shared stories about when we were kids and and you know um, we didn't even share the story of of uh, one of our friends wrecking me off the uh, bridge on on thirteen. Oh. That's a like we literally have almost died on that golf course, you know and. Yeah. And uh, literally speaking, I got thrown 12 feet. I was, I was on the putting green when I heard at ambulances and saw them take a turn on one of the golf course paths. And I'm like, <laughs> this is not good. And guess who it was? You were 20 feet down in a creek. Yes. Went from what? 30 miles an hour to zero and zero. Yep. Yeah. And I remember grabbing branches and honeysuckle to slow down my fall. And yeah. I remember seeing my, my leg bone and my arm bone from how bad I was cut up yeah. and still played in our state all-star game two weeks later, if you remember, um, at Riverfront Stadium at the Red Stadium. But, you know, we've yeah. literally gone through this our lives and, and it's it's just crazy to think of the winding roads. And I think you can count on maybe two hands, a number of friends that it doesn't matter if you see them one time a year or one time every 10 years that you can just pick up right where you left off, you know? Yeah. But, but to, to, so for me to know your heart, know who you are is one thing, but this whole story to me kind of culminated with your newest chapter of your life. And, and when I, when I did take your call and, and I flew out to San Diego and by the way, that was a one-way flight. If you remember, we didn't even really decide when we were, we yeah. didn't know how much help. I remember you and I sitting down cause you know how much I love to write. I would always count on your help for econ and math and you could always count on me to write a paper for you. But <laughs> We said it that uh, it was one of my favorite breakfast, but I want to say it was called the Broken Yolk or something like that. It was yeah, the Broken. I forgot it. Man, you got a good memory. Hey, that <laughs> place that we we yeah. had breakfast there every day, and we would go yeah. and we would we would work on on Terry's your dad's eulogy. And yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. as we're working through that eulogy, that was one thing. But let me rewind a little bit because when we after we went through the patents, after we found out that your dad had a had a an, he was an avid violin collector, which was a fascinating to me. I was yeah. also fascinated by my first ever experience with a bidet. Um, so there was all these <laughs> things that, that were that were happening, and it was kind yeah. of this journey and this culmination. And I would say even even a realization of our own mortality, T, because you know my my yeah, dad yeah. passed away at thirty six, and and for you you're somebody that doesn't show emotion much, but I knew that you were hurting inside. And, and so for us to go through that journey, it really culminated when we went in to those to, to, uh, I want to say his name was Jose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're, and, the and, uh, and we went into that factory and what did we discover T that you had no idea what was going on? And, uh, a, a thousand putters were, were sitting there stored of my dad's putters stored at this, at this factory. And, you and had, no clue, no clue. So I, somebody just called me or I think it was Jose. He said, Hey, did you know, Terry's got a bunch of putters. I'm thinking, what's that mean? 20, 50 prototypes, you know, yeah, they were finished a thousand finished putters. I remember they were sitting on cookie sheets with wax paper and we had to go, yeah. man, we had to put all those little things together. And that one model that, that, that futuristic looking model. And yeah. he had, he had the old 8802 or the, uh, sorry, the, uh, night, uh, the, uh, don't say, don't say it. The, uh, TPA 18 S yeah. and, and the, and the, and the offset. And then he had the, the Scotty Cameron looking one, the uh, Newport looking style. Yep. Um, and I remember seeing those and it was like, there was just silence. I remember, your wheel spinning. I remember when we went and met, we met Brad, 
um, yeah. and kind of I was with us there. Yeah, 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 walking through, and it was like this realization of, oh my gosh, my dad was onto something. And, you know, I don't think there's coincidences in life. And for you to really take that and say, you know what, this might be my calling. I remember telling you, you know me, my mind went right to marketing and sales. And yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. got to be American made. That was the way my dad wanted it done. He yeah. loved his soldiers, our American soldiers. And I said, you know, why don't you, I remember telling you, you should, you should take on the idea like how Tom's Shoes does when they, every pair of shoes that's sold, they give a pair to a, to a kid in need overseas um, yeah. in, in third world countries. But I said, you know, every putter, you should, you should incentivize the buyer and then you can kick some back to a soldier's family or a wounded warrior. We were walking through all these sales ideas. Right. And I think it was, you wouldn't admit this, but I think within 24 hours of you walking into that factory, I think your mind was all but made up that this is my calling. I mean, do you, would you say that's true to take you a little bit of a slower burn to get there? Uh, it, it, it wasn't right then my head was spinning, but it was, it was like, wow, I can, it was, you know, and all these people were, were helping, you know? And I was like, wow, this is really surprising. You know, I was like, there's, mm -hmm. if, if, if this is day two, after my dad passed away and all these people are willing to help imagine revving up a business, you know? And that, I mean, we're talking days after that. It was just like, what am I going to do with all these putters? Well, I knew this one guy didn't have a job, you know? And um, so I remember actually shortly after there is the, the, the first, I'm still working in finance. I bought a 3D printer and started learning how to do CAD work. I'm sitting in there, at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning when I actually need to be working with my clients. Unfortunately, I, you know, I'll be honest. I, wa I wasn't focused. I'm sitting there thinking about, the 3d printer and doing prototypes. Mm -hmm. so, um, but yeah, that was, that was a crazy experience. Um, just because of the, it was every day we woke up, we didn't know what we we're going to find, <laughs> you know, next, it I mean, really we're, was. we're throwing, we're, we, I don't know if you remember, we are actually driving 4,000 pounds of, of printed off patents to the actual, um, to the trash place mm -hmm. because, yeah, because we, were, we couldn't fit them in the garbage cans. Yeah. We couldn't fit them in the garbage cans. And the next day we wake up and there's all of a sudden there's a thousand putters. Yeah. You know, yep. and it's just like, what are we going to find tomorrow? Right. So it was like a treasure hunt almost. Yeah. It was almost like, you know, you're, you got to learn more about your dad in, in three days than you did the previous five years yeah. combined. Yeah. Um, but I still think it's a cool story. I mean, I just, my conviction leads me to believe that our first and last chapters are written already. And we have, we have something to do with the middle, the middle part. Yeah. Um, you know, but you know, it's in a cool way. I look at it like, you know, my, my impact that I've had hopefully, um, with these young kids that I've coached, you know, for, for years since Tommy and Sarah were born, really, I've been coaching sports and more, more particularly the baseball side of it, you know, and my dad's legacy. Um, you know, and, and I, so I can, I can relate to that passion that you have. And it's a, it's a good similarity, I think as well, what you, what you've done with the putter line. But, um, so where's it at now? Where, where, what's going on with the TPA putter line? Cause what a lot of people may not know is these putters, when I say they're good quality, I, sh like I have, you were nice enough to like, I I've been, I've been promoting these putters and my hope early on was if I get these in enough people's hands here, it can grassroot and these, yeah. and, and, and they see how good the quality is. Um, now they're all, in, they're, they're in my basement now. I need to get them back to you. But, um, but, but when people like pick them up and they stroke a putt with them, like, oh my gosh, they don't realize the 88 or the, uh, the, the CPA 18, Nick Fowler, the original version is what Nick yeah. Fowler won the masters with. I think it was that in 1990. Yeah. I think he won 80. He won a masters in 89 
And then he won the British Open with it in, 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 no, 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 I'm sorry. Let me take that back. He won the Masters in 89 with it. He actually put it in in the third round, mm-hmm. which is, that's, by the way, that's ballsy. You yeah. switching putters in a major mid-tournament. Anyway, then he won the British Open with it, and the next year he won the Masters with it again. I mean, and that's that's like that's the print, and you've actually taken it to a different level with the new finish and everything else. But oh, yeah. where are you at with it, and and uh, is that is that something that you look to continue on? Yeah, I I think what I'm going to end up doing, um, and I've put a lot of thought to this, and you just can't, you're not going to make perfect decisions all the time. But I get a lot of requests for two things. Um, first of all, the TPA 18. There's I get an email every single week from somebody saying, "Hey, listen." I'd love to get a new one of those 18s. I've been using this since 1990. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. And I'll tell you, when I get these personal stories, I always give them a discount. Mm-hmm. You know, They're always getting a discount because it's awesome to read the two paragraphs where they talk about their dad giving them the putter and then watching Nick Faldo. And then every time – I don't tell them how good the putter looks. I send it to them, and I always get this email back. And it's like a page or two. They can't mm-hmm. believe how good this putter looks because the putters today are milled. Well, they're not all milled. But they're milled and they're just it's like I don't know if people see milled or really nice um, rims on cars. They're not they're not forged. They're not they have machining marks on them. Mm-hmm. It's just a different breed of putter. But anyway, getting back, I am probably going to end up keeping that as a staple. That's the TPA 18. I'm thinking that the rest of the putters and I don't know if this is going to be a year or two are going to be T-line putters. Because I, people get people want the T-line putters. I get mm-hmm. those requests a lot. And I and I've had to send a ton of cease and desist letters for even TaylorMade and a couple other companies because they're they love the T-line trademark. And I still have I still own that trademark. And I just want to put that into manufacturing. Mm-hmm. I think it's a it's a great name. It's easier to remember the T-line. So yeah. but anyway, I've got I probably still have 200 putters in inventory. Majority of those are TPA 18s. And what I've done in the past, I'd say year, I have focused on not only the design aspect, but there's also an aspect of um, actually machining them, which is a lot of people have heard the term CAD, computer-aided design, but there's mm-hmm. computer-aided manufacturing too. So CAD, CAM. Most people don't specialize in both. It's you've got your CAD guys and then you've got your machining guys that need to know CAM. I've learned both and have immersed myself in the CAM side for two reasons. I have to get somebody local to machine them or machine them myself. If I machine them myself, it's a lot of capital up front. It's going to cost a lot of money, a lot of risk. I'm apprehensive to do that. But if I can send somebody not only the design, but the tool paths to make the putter local, they're a lot more willing to do it for a less mm-hmm. cost because I've spent the hours that it goes into machining the tool paths and everything. And, that, and also, how are you going to hold this putter? When you're machining a putter, like I always tell people, if you machine a putter, well, you've got to drill the hole in the hosel, and it's got to be at a 70-degree angle. Well, you've got to hold that putter in at a 70-degree angle to machine the hole where the shaft goes. Mm-hmm. It's a simple operation, but it's it's quite complicated. So I'm at a crossroads right now, to be honest with you, with, with, with the company, because I have got to rev up manufacturing, and I have to do it local. So now, have you ever thought of, of uh, taking it to the market and seeing what some of the bigger, the bigger uh, sharks w- would do with it? You know, I actually had a meeting with Cobra and I don't know if I've got, do I have one of these here? Let me see if I got, actually, here's one of them. 
this is actually a lot of people don't know this. Can you see the cobra? Yep. Can you see it says cobra? Yep. Well, this was at one time cobra had a TPA putter. Wow. Uh, a lot of people don't know that, but what that was when my dad was a Titleist when they acquired Cobra. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you remember, but the Titleist um, building is right next to the Cobra building. They're both massive. I mean, they're yep. both like 60, 50. We went to both of them. Yeah, they're both like 60,000 square foot manufacturing facilities. Um, and Titleist acquired Cobra. Well, you've got Scotty Cameron just becoming a big name. And Cobra didn't have a putter line. So what my dad was trying to do was do some insert stuff. Uh, with Cobra, with the TPA putter line. Well, Scotty didn't like that. So uh, he, he, you know, he didn't want a competing brand. And he knew my dad was an all-star with the design. So they ended up shelving that. But I actually met with the Cobra guys a long time ago. But at the, and I had, believe it or not, I was at the PGA show when I had a meeting set up with the guys at Cobra. And I had not got my putters yet. The guy that was machining them in California overnighted them. And thank God they got there at 11 o'clock. Drove back, picked up the putters. I'm crying because they look so good. And then had a meeting with Cobra. But at the time, I was so far away from what they see as business. I'm just ramping up. I'm just this lone soldier. Yeah. But they loved it. And I told them, I, I actually showed them this. I said, hey, listen, the TPA putter line was with Cobra at one point. Um, and I Which said, is I a cool love. story to tell. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, they don't even know that. Um, most of the people don't know that a lot of people don't know that the TPA putter line was with TaylorMade at one point, And then it went to Wilson. Mm -hmm. So, and Wilson, I've always been interested in, in con contacting Wilson, um, because some of these companies don't have a, a premium putter brand like, um, Cobra's making 3d print. I, have you seen Cobra's 3d printed putter recently? Mm -hmm. Granted, I, I think that's cool. It, but it just doesn't look great. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Wil Wilson doesn't make a really high end putter, that, that, but they're capable of it though, you know, but maybe they just need that person with passion with, you know, a legacy. Cause yeah. the last, the last company, big company that the TPA putter line was with was Wilson. So I still have, I still have the, uh, I remember when your dad was trying to get one of his patents and you needed so many, quote unquote sales. And I remember getting yeah. the energizer, which is what he renamed it. And I still have it. Yeah. Um, I, I still have about 10 of those putters. Yeah. And you know, and you know, I don't know if you know this, but I actually, for years I would go on eBay and anytime I had an alert set where anytime a TPA putter was on sale, yeah, I would buy it. I got some of them for like 25 bucks. I just started collecting them. I got like yeah. five right here in my office, old ones, even yeah. the thin, the thin uh, mallet, like I got, I got a lot of, of really cool putters, but so when you look back at this and you, and you look at where this journey has led you, this is what I always do with the conclusion of every, every one of my, my podcast is, you know, does it make you feel uncomfortable when you sit back and say, what are the things when you look at this journey, you look at what you learned from not just your dad, I would say your mom, your stepdad, who, who, you know, obviously your stepfather, unfortunately passed away a few years ago. John was a great man. Terry was a great man. And Linda's an unbelievable woman, but you know, this again, use that word tapestry of, of what's created you. But um, wh what are the things that you're most proud of in, in yourself? What, what are the things you say, you know, these are the things that are great about me. What are the things that make you so great? Oh, well, that's a tough question, buddy. Um, I well, would I say, <laughs> um, I mean, 
a lot of people will say, what's your biggest accomplishment? I will definitely say getting through PGA qualifying school. You know, that was, that was monumental, even more than finishing second or even more than winning a tournament. But mm-hmm. just in general, I've been able, not reinvent myself, but um, some part of me wishes that I would have um, found a passion outside of golf, leaving college where I'd be 20 years in with a deep amount of experience, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not, and I wouldn't, I'm not saying I'd be a powerhouse, but I would be, I would, I would be able to, it wouldn't be so difficult. I've had to kind of reinvent myself a, a few too many times. And it's, it's, um, I call it brain damage. You know, that's what I like to say is like, so when I left, when I left golf and I said, okay, well, I have an accounting and finance degree. I ended up getting into finance. Well, I, I knew how to do equations in college, but now I need to, I need to learn how to sell. I need to know how to manage clients. I need to know where to put money. I need to know what, find out the, the correct questions to ask. What, what are their goals? You know, mm-hmm. um, that is, I mean, that takes decades to learn. And here I am thrown in with the sharks at these major wirehouse companies at Merrill Lynch. And now I'm just, it's just, my mouth is open. I'm taking all this knowledge in. And I went from one high stress environment to another. And then, and then, you know, I had, uh, my dad died and it's like, now the stress level goes up more. And now I'm, I'm on my own now. I've got my own company and I'm like, wow. And now I'm learning, I mean, CAD design and stuff like that, product design, prototyping, getting stuff, manufacturing, sourcing suppliers. I mean, just getting, getting head covers, doing a new head cover design makes me stressful. Mm-hmm. So I just keep getting thrown in the fire, I believe. Um, and uh, a different stress. I mean, some people might have financial stress, stuff like that, but this is just kind of almost self-induced stress where it's just like, sometimes I wish I just could just wake up, do a 95 and come home. Mm-hmm. And you're running yeah. your own, you know, some people, I mean, so I had this one guy, he came over to my house one day and he goes like, man, can you ever get away from your work? And I'm like, I can't, you know, that he does construction. And he's, and he just, he comes home at five and it's, it's gone. There's no work at home. Yep. Um, you know, I wake up and I'm just, I see prototypes all over the place. So. Well, maybe uh, that just, stress is one of your attributes though, T, is your ability to, to take it and own it. And, and it, it, not everybody can do that. You yeah. know, it takes a different breed. I mean, if you really think about it, you know, you, you, yeah, you were a golfer when you put on the nationwide tour, but let's face it, you were, a, you were a business owner brother. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I, absolutely. 100%. You didn't think of it that way then, did you? But you were. Correct. hundred percent. I, I did not think of it that way until I had left the sport, you mm-hmm. know, and I was able to, like when I'm talking to uh, clients at, at, at Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley, I knew exactly what they were saying. I had, mm-hmm. I had, I had ran all my own bills. I did all my own taxes. I paid my caddy. I had to manage all my own contracts. Yes, absolutely. And travel. I mean, tra- I book my own travel. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you, don't you find it odd though, that when, when you're asked, like, tell me the things you love about yourself, it's, it's nearly impossible to do. Oh yeah. It's, and I'm probably, probably, <laughs> probably didn't, I'll probably think about that question tomorrow and probably answer it a different way. You could text me your answer, but it's like, you know, I ask it for a couple of reasons. Number one, I, I think, you know, even though people don't have the answer in that moment, that's okay, but they're going to have to discern it for the rest of, you know, at least for the, yeah. for the, for maybe the next few hours, because 
it's okay to step back and think about what are the things that make you different, that make you unique, because in reality, that, that is what creates your conviction in life, you know? I mean, yeah. you know, because it's easy for you to say, pick somebody that you have a high level of respect for and tell me what you love about them. If I said, tell me everything you love about Linda, you would have no problem. You know, I yeah. could even pick me or Thacker or whatever. You, you would have no problem doing that. But when I ask you to do it for yourself, it's tough. But, you know, I will tell you, you know, somebody that's known you your whole life, you know, when I, when I, when I tell the, 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 the mythical stories of, of what is Team McCabe, you know, I can talk about you never even being in class and teaching people accounting and finance 300-level yeah. courses. Um, so your level of intelligence and your level of commitment and your stick to itness. Um, and, you know, I think deep down uh, behind those layers is, is, a, is a pretty soft dude, too, that, like, actually really cares, you know, about the oh, people yeah, he yeah. loves the most. So yeah. it's easy for me to do that about you. But um, I just got to say, anybody that, that loves golf, and maybe this is a soundbite that, that uh, J-Rock here can, can take away as he promotes this, this podcast episode, but anybody that has ever had any interest in golf, better tune in to listen to this because the stories that you've told, uh, not just about yourself. I mean, one of two people in the history of golf to have two double Eagles forget yeah. in one round, you did it in one side to yeah. be, you know, the son of what I think is the ambassador of golf design, designing really the first ever metal wood was a head of design for Titleist, And for you to even have the, the, the accolades and the career that you've had, um, that's all cool. It's secondary to my friendship with you and what you, what we've been able to accomplish as friends. But, um, this is going to be a, a treat for anybody that, that, uh, that loves business or golf, because this is, you, you've given us some good nuggets, man. So I appreciate you taking the time, man. I really do. Yeah. The, the last, I, 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 let me just do a little self-promotion here because one of the things is, is if you go to my website, you can actually read about my father and the legacy of the putters, not just mm -hmm. of the putters, but of his, I have a special page set up for him basically his accomplishments and it's uh there's basically it's tpaputters.com which is um tpaputters.com or just tmccabe.com they both redirect to the tpa putters website and you'll see you can click there's a there's some beautiful photos of uh of the current putters but you can there's a about us section you can read about my father because i'm quite proud of the of the uh of the legacy that he left he was he was a he was he was a good man but he was his talents were just on a different level. So, I mean, if you look people still today, whenever anyone on Instagram posts a picture of the 975 D driver, I mean, the comments are just like, Oh my God, this is the greatest driver I ever had when I was a kid. You I know? hit it until the face caved in. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I'll just never forget. I had a speeder shaft and I remember reshafting and putting a speeder shaft in that thing. And it was like, that was when I really started to learn how to bomb it. Um, yeah. it was with that, with, with that driver, he, he, the howitzer and that were my two that I kind of started swinging hard. Um, yeah. but, uh, you, yeah, I'm glad that you said that. Cause that was going to be my final thing is I want people to know where to check you out, which is TPA, which stands for tour precision accuracy. How's that T that, that do well right. on that? Yeah. Uh, well, that's yeah. what it stands for, 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 for the market marketing brand. It's a uh, tour precision accuracy. So TPA putters. Yeah dot com or tmccabe.com i would implore you to to dig in and learn if you love golf and you're kind of a golf nut or a golf nerd you gotta learn more about terry mccabe and i would even say T mccabe because what you can also find in googling T mccabe double eagle is you'll find the golf digest right up that they did um about your double albatross uh round of golf at hammock bay and marco but uh Dude, this has been awesome, man. I, I got to get my, my butt down to, to Naples and, and uh, have oh, a yeah. couple rounds of golf. So this has been great. I know you're busy. Um, but uh, Thanks for I, having me. I, I'm dude, gonna, I, I'm gonna I, I didn't Honestly, I didn't even know you were doing this. I'm going to have to check some of these out. 
Yeah, you know? load, load them in. If you are if you got some windshield time, you want to cool out, yeah. it, it's been great. We actually, um, J-Rock can correct me on this, but we've been as high as the top 2.5% of downloaded and listened podcasts um, over the wow. last, like, four months. So it's been pretty neat, and it's just something that we love. We, we I don't make a single dollar on this, man. In fact, I invest time and money yeah. into the resources to do it, but it's something we love to get out there because it, it helps people hopefully create their own conviction, you know, in life. Do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions? I would love it. This has never oh. happened. Oh, okay, great. Uh, real quickly, do you do do you talk any finance at all on the on the podcast or no? So I, I share briefly about things that you know in terms of like life lessons and stories. But um, right. I've actually thought about doing an actual an actual exclusive episode digging into some of the financial concepts. So if that's okay. something that you'd be interested in doing, I actually have a, a young kid in here also that is is a day trader while he's in college. He's brilliant. Right. You would love him. So <laughs> would that be something you'd like to get on and do? Uh no. I, well, I mean, I'd have to think about that. I, I mean that. That's just adding another layer of stress, maybe, and time yeah. commitment. But maybe uh, I was just wondering if you, if you, if you did it, per, if you were doing it. Um, per, but I, I'll think about it. And, you, yeah. and if you want to run something by me, just let me know because, I mean, I don't keep up with that stuff anymore. But yep. it was a, it was a passion of mine, and I, and I can talk about it. You know. Um, so- it, I've kept this exclusive more about like the relationship side life. and like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, that's yep. good. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And I think, I mean, you can't really blend them both. I don't think it would, it would need to be because you, you've got an audience that audience isn't going to want to l- learn about life lessons and stuff. Right. And yep. uh, you know, and I think that you're at the right age. I mean, we're in, we're forties now. Yep. I mean, the amount of stuff it's like, Coming out of college, you think you're kind of smart. You're not. Right. You're, you're, you're not. It's you know? so true. Yeah. And it's just life lessons um, that you just, you can't learn in a book. You can't even right. learn from sitting down and talking to them. You got to go through them. But let, uh, what now did, is your book in print? I didn't even so, know about this stuff, by the way. So I'm actually, uh, Josh and I, my guy was telling you about, we're going to, we're going to um, work with a, uh, a publisher okay. uh, or I'm sorry, a, a, an editor. And then we're going to self-publish is, is the route right. we're going to go. So cool. um, I'm cool. about five chapters, maybe six from having it done. We're, what, 40,000 words in right now, something like that. So we're pretty 40, far 000? along. Yeah. I don't even know how many pages that is. So that would be about a 200-page book right now okay. on, on a normal, you know, uh, eight-inch yeah, eight inch book. Yeah. So yeah, you can wrap it up at any time after that pretty much. Yeah. And actually, your chapter is called Tee It Up. T-E-E, tee it up. Nice. And, uh, but yeah, it's all about kind of figuring out, you know, what your conviction is. Now I've related this to really more to our industry and how you can recruit good people, develop them and then onboard them, but making sure that you're figuring out what your conviction and culture is first. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there was a, there was a guy that actually, you know, you, you, do you remember this name? Matt Sharkey from Ohio. He that was a real, familiar. real tall guy. He was a great mini tour player, even played a little bit on uh, Nationwide. I think he might have uh, gotten into, he was drinking a little too much or something and got sober. And he, I don't know if he did this, but he had the name of a book that he was going to write. And it, it, what a great name, The Recovery Shot. Ah, I, like I think it. that's an unbelievable name. Yes. You know, the, the Recovery yeah. Shot. So if you right. have a, you could think of a chapter in your book. But anyway, the one thing I will say about standing in somebody else's shoes that you're that thing, that was Kyle Vosca taught me that lesson in college. He, he was, he was, I was struggling. I'm on the range. He's, he's like, he's like, 
watch this. And he, he put the iron on your right toe, put your foot in there. He'd put the iron on the left toe and he's, and he's like, take a look at what I look at. And I'm seeing a guy that's aimed way right too far from the ball. Yeah. And it's amazing when you can, I don't know how that really relates to life, but when you can stand in somebody else's shoes or you can see your own stance, it's amazing. You can, it's a, that's a, that's a great teaching lesson. It really is. And it's funny you brought him up because one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and, and I didn't, and I think this would shock a lot of people because you play with Bubba, you play with Zach, you play with Ben Curtis, you play with Luke Donald, you play with all these guys. And I don't know if I've ever heard you answer differently when I say who's the best player that you've ever played with. Oh, my sophomore year, his junior year, the best golfer that I've ever played with was Kyle Vosper from Cincinnati, Ohio. Ohio. For, for his, if he, I say if he was on the PGA Tour his junior year in college, he would have won five to ten million dollars. This kid was so good. His now he was great his senior year too. I expected him to do great things, but he peaked his junior year. That was the some of the best golf. He didn't finish outside the top five in college. This includes the sectionals, regional sectionals, and nationals. He didn't finish outside the top five the whole year. Every and who event won was, who won NCAA's that year? Uh, a guy named James McLean from Australia. This kid was a phenom. It, one of the cool things about playing golf is you see all this talent that makes it. Some make it and some don't. And it's you, there's no rhyme or reason because James McLean had a great work ethic. It's just through injuries, bad putting, you know, you, you don't hear from him. Mm -hmm. um, but James McLean was an all-star in Minnesota. I mean, this guy, he hit it forever. But anyway, Kyle Vosker was so good. Um, I learned a ton from him. I mean, this guy... He had he had a changeup for his driver. I, there was a hole where I was scared to hit a four iron off a tee. You know, it was that tight, and he's pulling out driver. I said, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm just going to hit a changeup." And he I hits remember. Real, he hits this really soft cut about 250 yards down. And I'm like, and the next hole he hit it 310. And I'm like, this guy's just incredible. Which and was a draw when he wanted to get after it. He yeah, had a draw. Yeah, and his putting was out of this world. I won't even talk about his putting. I mean, it was the most confident. I remember caddying for him when I missed a, a cut at a mini tour event. I'm caddying for him and uh, he missed a five footer. And instead of getting upset, he's like, I'm not going to miss another putt the rest of the day. And it was just buckets all day long after that <laughs> 10 footer, 15 footer, 20 footer. And I'm like, if I missed a five footer, I think I'm going to miss the next one. Yeah. He, he was like, that ain't happening again. So yeah. anyway, it's amazing. There's yeah. one more, there's one more quick story that I want. And, and what we'll do is we'll condense, uh, we'll condense this the best we can, but man, these are so many nuggets here. And, uh, it, it, Josh across from me here is hearing a lot of this for the first time too. And he may be fascinated by this, but I'll never forget when we were at your dad's condo in La Costa and you busted out those videos when, uh, if you remember when, when Tiger Woods signed professionally, he signed with Nike. Well, for a couple yeah. of years, Nike didn't have any golf equipment. So basically, Tiger Woods was the reason that Nike started making golf equipment. They were getting into that oh, yeah. market. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. and so until he was comfortable with the crap that they ended up making, um, he, he was hitting clubs designed by Terry McCabe. And I'll never forget yeah. the range sessions that you have. You have, I don't know if you still have them. I still on, have them, yeah. On video. where And if you have a way of digitizing those and sending those, um, we could, we could totally like kind of work those into this part of the clip, but watching him bomb those three woods, because I, you know, yeah. he was, he was, he was fitting them for, I think it was the old, uh, the old Tylus PT three wood. Yeah. 
my, man, I can't believe I remember this. The PT threw it, and then I remember the blades. And at one yeah. point, there were two sets of those blades that had the same exact specs. And what were they? As who had the, who I, had the two? Who had the two sets of blades? Oh, I did. And well, who? I don't know who. My dad. Oh Tiger no, Tiger Woods. Oh no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, yeah. The first two sets, my dad sent sent me. No, no, no. I, I yeah, yeah. No, and didn't you guys was, spec out the same? Lie, loft, well, weight? Well, yeah, that was kind of before fitting became a huge thing. It was almost just like, here's standard, go with it. But it was his standard, which was like one degree weak loft at the time. You know, because if you play weaker irons where you don't hit the ball as far, your gaps are better. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the stuff I'm seeing on the PGA Tour, like somebody released Rory McIlroy's distances. First of all, they're not right. He said he's hitting a four iron from 240. I'm sorry, nobody's hitting a four iron from 240, okay? It ain't happening. Mm. But anyway, if you are into that big distance, what do you your wedge, you got you've got to have you've got to get dialed in on the on the shorter shots. Mm -hmm. And when if you're hitting a four iron 240, that's just not gonna happen. But right. I think that's a little bit of marketing. So I just I'll never forget when you got those forged blades and yeah. it just said T E E on. I think so Tiger couldn't have the Tylus logo on it, so his just had his name on it. And yeah. to think that you guys had the, the only two sets of those, do you still have those blades? Oh, I, I have, I need, I, I really need to sell. I have 10 sets. I mean, I've got my original set from college. I mean, we're talking, we're going back to college. You know what I mean? I had these sets in college before anyone else, they were even sold. Yeah. Um, I never sold or, or got, I mean, you know, I've lost a seven iron from time to time or an eight iron, but I've got 12 or 13 sets of 681 blades. That's I amazing. actually got one of Tiger Woods' sets that's in a in a yellow chrome finish. It was a it was a prototype chrome finish for him because he didn't like the the glare at the time. Yeah. But he ended up staying with the, the satin chrome finish. So wow. No, that's a that is a uh that's an iron that, that that'll never go out of style. The 681s and the 680s. Yep. So and it was almost and then they moved from those to that more of that muscle back and cavity back later yeah. on. Um, but uh that that's amazing, man. Well, listen, I, I know I've taken up a lot of your time, but man, this is like I said, this is I, I know a lot of this and I still get jazzed up talking about it. But like oh, people yeah. that that you think about the the care the crossover between people that are in business and people that love golf, it's like eight out of ten. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um yeah. And, and those are the people that are listening to this. And even if they're not, they love business, they should be fascinated by by some of this stuff. So I appreciate it, man. I'll make sure that uh that we on our social media will definitely have the hashtags and the plugs for for TPA putters and for T McCabe. Um you've been awesome, man. Your story is tremendous and and I've really enjoyed this. We'll have to do this again in, in the uh, second series, brother. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. This is fine. First of all, I don't listen to podcasts, but I'm going to have to listen. To, I've never done this. So this is cool. Yeah. Well, so, listen to yours first, and then you can work backwards to the other 20 of them. All right. Well, yeah, this is fun. <laughs> I'm glad you invited me. I appreciate it. Well, this has been another awesome episode of uh, the Authentic Conviction podcast. We're a few away from concluding our first uh, our first season, which, T, you'll love this, but we're doing 23 uh, episodes in, in, uh, in season one for the obvious number Michael Jordan. That's right. So, yeah. um, but uh, it's been great. I uh, can't wait to listen back to this. And uh, until I talk to you again, man, uh, cheers to you, man. Nothing, nothing but the best for you. Yeah, thank you too, buddy.